This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. You are Locked On MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the Daily Podcast. Today, we're doing an audio-only podcast where we talk about baseball, well, all 52 weeks of the year. We don't have an off-season here. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. Today's episode is going to be dropped on the first day of February. We're already into February, folks. And by the way, in case you don't know who the heck I am, I am an Emmy-nominated television producer who has been a baseball podcaster for the last, let's just call it, 10 years. And I've been part of the Lockdown Podcast Network for the last five. Follow us at Lockdown MLB Pods on Twitter and on Instagram, you follow me on my personal account, Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Please subscribe to us on the YouTubes. We're looking to get 1 billion subscribers. We're several hundred million short of that. So let's keep going. Um, uh, I wanna, I'm very happy to have today's guest. Uh, I'm, as you know, I've been trying to do a podcast on every single team. During this entire offseason, yes, yes, even that team. And all the people who would say, you ignore us, you ignore our team, you are clearly biased against the Marlins. I had someone say that to me, as if anybody is biased against the Marlins. But I'm very happy to be crossing the Blue Jays off of the proverbial list. She, Our guest today is a returning guest. Uh, she is the new editor of the Toronto Sabre chapter newsletter, knows more about the Toronto Blue Jays, has forgotten more about the Blue Jays than I will ever know. Ruth Capulis, you're back on Locked On MLB. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I keep hearing it as locked down, like as in lockdown. <laughs> oh, we were locked down. Do you what? We did the show during the pandemic. We were locked down MLB at that point. Boy, it was, I had fun during that time coming up with just crazy show ideas. But after a while, it was kind of like, okay, um, still no baseball to talk about. And then, of course, we were in locked out MLB during the lockout the other year. So it's refreshing that for the next bunch of years, Let's face it, we are going to have you know, as close to stability as we possibly can as baseball fans. And, uh, you know, I'll take it. I'll take it, Ruth. So, so uh, speaking of things that people were trying to do during that time period, I had a group of people who were watching old Blue Jays mm-hmm. games. And for some reason, we watched the, like, meltdown of 1987. Like, we had our choice. That's insane. By the way, for the I think you and I talked about this with the last time. The 1987, I'll go, I'll say it. The 1987 Blue Jays are probably the most talented team I've ever seen to not make the postseason. You could make the argument that they were the most talented team in baseball 
1987. They had a ill-timed collapse against the Detroit Tigers and a really ill-timed injury to Tony Fernandez down the stretch. They lost the final game of the year to Detroit one to nothing on a complete game Frank Tanana victory. I think Jimmy Key pitched that game, if I'm not mistaken. And that team was so insanely deep in every single position. And yet, and they won, what did they finish the year with? They won 97 games or something like that? Something fairly high like that. I mean, they were the victim, if you want to describe it that way, of a postseason that didn't have wild card games at the time, which did make the September stretch that much more intense and exciting. And considering yeah. it was a expansion team that was only 10 years old at that point, it already won the division yeah. two years before. I mean, it's, I, and I think I, I'm bringing this up for a purpose because it will lead us into the next part of the discussion of why maybe I'm not quite as selling as high <laughs> on the tickets for 2023s as you are. Yeah. Uh, well, look at and th- that year of, you know, the year that was the year the twins wound up winning the World Series. And there was there's the postseason was so insane back then because home field advantage in the postseason had nothing to do with your record. They just switched east, west, east, west, NL, AL, NL, AL each year. And so the Minnesota Twins, who were a thoroughly mediocre, if not bad, team on the road, and absolutely dominant at home. And they finished with less than 90 wins, had home field advantage in both the League Championship Series and World Series, and lost a grand total of zero games at home. And they went on the road. They were they were two and four on the road and six and oh at home. And they wound up winning the World Series, having two good starting pitchers and one relief pitcher because they were playing in the Homer Dome. And the you know the Tigers, who were by far the best team in baseball in the postseason, uh, lost in five games because they lost those first two games in Minnesota. And Toronto's in, at home, so they're going like, really, really, we we can't win piddly poo here. Yeah, that, I mean that that was the you know the the Bell Mosby Barfield, uh, Ernie Witt was still there. They had a platoon of Fred McGriff and Cecil Fielder. You know, they had Tony Fernandez, Dave Steeb. Like, their bullpen included people like David Wells. You know, it was just insane. And Tom Hankey and Dwayne Ward in the bull. It was insane how deep that team was. And how but, spoiled, yeah. I think, baseball fans in Toronto were with a relatively new team, particularly compared against the Expos. Uh, yeah. Been, you know, for about a decade prior. But I think in terms of why I bring that up relative to 2023, I think is because of the point that you just made and how insanely deep it was and how teams really needed to have that depth mm-hmm. back when you didn't have three teams that would qualify for a wild card that would get you into. But, it, but, but to contradict that, I don't mean to contradict that Ruth, but you had an insanely thin twins team because the AL West was just so bad. And, you know, the the Milwaukee Brewers, who are also in the AL East, had a better record than the Minnesota Twins. That if they had had, if there was a central, if there was a central division, the uh, Twins would have been a distant third place. 
<laughs> and instead, they wound up winning the World Series. It well, was uh, the, the time when the Jays had the opportunity to be moved and they were reorganizing the divisions into the central division. Which would geographically make more sense, given where Toronto is. Yeah. Now. But Paul Beeston, who was the president of the team at the time, didn't want them to be moved because he didn't want to lose that revenue from Yankees and Red Sox games. And now that it's a balanced schedule and you're going to be playing every team in a season and you're not going to be playing as many teams within your division, stings just that much more. But uh, you can't change the past or do anything about that. But it's interesting to think about what the team would have been like, what the makeup would have been like had they moved into the AL Central. But, I mean, your point about the Twins being not as strong a team, I think, again, this year, having the balanced schedule is going to smooth out some of that division where one division is, like, so much weaker than the other one. I mean, I don't know if you agree with me, and we're going to jump into this in just a second here, but I don't know if you agree with me, Ruth. I think we should just get rid of divisions. I mean, I think you should just have the seeds the way you want, but... You know, like if you had a year like a few years ago, like just 2021, the Giants winning 107, the Dodgers winning 106, and the way the playoffs are set up, those two face each other in the division series, not the league championship series. It's set, you know, the way it was set up in 2015 with the three best teams in terms of winning percentage in all of baseball were St. Louis, Pittsburgh, and Chicago. But because it was set up, it was set up that it was guaranteed that two of those three teams would be eliminated by the league championship series. I say just get rid of the divisions, feed the you know, feed the seeds. If the top three teams are all in the same, div- you know, would have been all in the East or in the West or the Central or wherever. So be it. I mean, the divisions at this point, especially with a balanced schedule, is just sort of harkening back to some nonsense that we just don't need to have anymore. I agree with you about that. And I've I've made that point before, too, that if you're going to have a balanced schedule, then the aim should be, particularly when there are clearly some teams who are not trying, uh, Pittsburgh, the Reds, Oakland, Kansas City. The Marlins. The Marlins, which you are clearly biased against. Yes, I'm very anti-biased. But then absolutely do away with the divisions. Just have the teams... Like you said, see them how you want, but have fair rankings. But there's a weirdness in MLB about clinging to certain nostalgia that the way they set up the modern game doesn't really work with that nostalgia. But I think people would be in up in arms if we were to get rid of the divisions. I think it's the fairest thing to do. I think it makes the most sense. There are a lot of teams that go to postseason now. Yeah, I also think they should shorten the regular season. I I, I think so too. I think so too. I think I mean, I've said many, many times we should end the season yeah. on Labor Day, the, the first weekend of September, have the playoffs in September, um, and the World Series the first week of October. I don't want baseball going into November. You know, I don't want it going. I, you know, a few years ago, both the Twins and the Rockies made the postseason. Imagine if the World Series was between Open Air Stadium in Minneapolis and Open Air Stadium in Denver in November. No yeah. one wants to see that. No, and, yeah, it, and I know people do it now. I mean, obviously the football season goes into January, into February, and there are some teams that play in 
absolute frigid temperatures, but it's one game. Yeah. It's not throughout an entire month and an entire postseason. I think also just in terms of load management for players now and the way that the game is played and how far pitchers throw. And if you were to shorten up that regular season, I think it would be better for injury management. And then maybe you would get, I mean, the postseason more so probably than any other professional sport in baseball is very luck-based. And whoever gets hot for a certain series can end up going all the way, which I think we saw with the Phillies. I actually had the opportunity as part of the Sabre chapter to uh, have a Q&A with Rob Thompson last week. Right. Oh, wow. And, I mean, he certainly from his perspective, it doesn't sound like anything where it was luck necessarily. I mean, there's a lot of strategy that went behind it. But I think Phillies were that kind of lucky team of destiny that no one expected to even necessarily make the postseason. That extra wild card obviously allowed them to get there. And But... If you were to shorten up that season, if you were to tighten it up, would the results have been different? I mean, I didn't want the Astros to win, so I would. Yeah. <laughs> nice if the results were different. I was certainly pulling for them, Phillies to win, but I don't know. I think the luck element of it and the coin toss element of it seemed more fair when there were fewer teams in. Like if yeah. you ran the 162 game gauntlet and only four teams got in or five teams or whomever, whatever the amount was, there was a sense of, okay, yeah, there's a coin toss, but. You had to work really hard to get there. You know, good teams didn't make it in, so there was, that was kind of the entry fee. But I think if you shorten the season with more bids in there, I think it'll make, you know, I think there, it'll bring a little bit of equity there. And and because when you go in there, boy, it, it, you could have long shots and teams that are not surefire bets doing really well. And if you're going to be doing any betting, let me recommend you go to FanDuel. This year, the only app you need at your Super Bowl party is FanDuel. By the way, uh, Ruth, the Super Bowl is a sporting event in America. I just didn't know if you know that. It's America's number one sports book, and we're excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sports book in America, FanDuel. If you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. Download FanDuel today so you can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You can get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. And when you're betting on the Super Bowl, I guess if your first bet doesn't work, I guess you bet on the other team. I'm not sure how that works. Maybe they'll explain it to you at FanDuel. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from money line to point spreads to who will score a touchdown. The FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, easy to use. And best of all, you get paid your winnings instantly. So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to claim your no-sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. I sang that last part. I didn't know they had a jingle. So, uh, I hope they, neither do they. Neither do they. <laughs> You know, you might be surprised to discover I have heard of the Super Bowl. I'm very worldly oh. in that way. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. You 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 are a worldly person. A lot of pageantry oh. around that event. Okay, um, Ruth and I spoke on the phone last week before we were, when we were setting up this show, and I implied that I was enthusiastic about the Blue Jays' chances in 2023. And suddenly, Ruth left the call, and in came Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh and started talking, well, 
It is the Blue Jays, and I don't know. Gee, Piglet. So, um, Ruth, I, here's what. Let me let me make my case. Sure. Let me make my case. I just wanted to defend myself. That I think no, 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 no. You, you have you have the floor. Students, but perhaps the the language was here. Okay. Okay. Fine. <laughs> fine. Um, let me make let me make why I feel enthusiastic about it. we rem- you know um, that the the Blue Jays went into last year with sky high expectations and obviously started off with a disappointing start to the season after Montoya was canned the team played well the, the last part of the season made the wild card and yes they had um, let's face it a pretty horrifying end to the season by blowing that gigantic lead to the Seattle Mariners, but they still have the core of the team that people were so enthusiastic about going into the year. They also had some players who underperformed last year. You didn't get an MVP performance out of Vlad Guerrero. You got a horrible season out of Jose Barrios. You got, you know, players who were not, who didn't step up. And if some of those players come into this year and have a closer to expected season, and Barrios could be mediocre. Mediocre is better than terrible. Plus the addition of Bassett. Plus, yes, the Tiasca Hernandez trade is very, very risky. But that being said, it brought in much-needed pitching depth to their bullpen. And the addition of Varsho from Arizona, the addition of Kiermaier, could possibly offset, at least make Tiasca's position not a weakness. And... I also don't think the Yankees are as good as a 99-win team. I think they're a mid-90-win team. I also think the Blue Jays are a mid-90-win team. I think Tampa's a low-90-win team, and I don't think the Red Sox are going to show up. And I think Baltimore, who knows if they're going to regress or not. But if I look at the teams, I think Toronto looks pretty dang good going into this year. So that's my take from an outsider. But you know more about the Blue Jays than I do. So, uh... I mean, take I it away. That's true or not. But I think so. The core is not there. Teoscar and Grail Jr. are both gone, who were a pretty essential part of that core. Do I think the defense has been improved? Yes. Uh, the Jays were an extremely shift heavy, reliant team. Mm-hmm. So the ban on the shift is going to be interesting. And the, I keep wanting to call the dome, the Roger Center has some new dimensions that everyone's going to have to get used to. So it's going to be, obviously, the Jays team will have a chance to catch up ahead of other teams, but it's going to be new to everyone coming into that park. And it's set up almost with, like, some of the fences seem to come in, and they're higher in places. So it's going to be someone, um, Blake Murphy, who's a reporter here, ran the numbers through, like, out of the park, which is obviously not... Um, absolute science and shouldn't be taken as 100% gospel, but he sort of calculated who was going to benefit and who it wouldn't. And Kiermaier and Biggio, two people who I don't count on to be uh, big contributors offensively, saw some improvements. Some of the bigger guys saw some regression. I think uh, Springer is due for a regression this year. I think it's good they brought in better defenders around him and then he'll be moved out of center field. Kiermaier is a question mark. I hope he's as good as he was in the past defensively. People are so confident he's going to be robbing all of these home runs with the lower fence in center field. I'm like, let's see how his hip does and how he feels. And 
I hope that he is back, if not at 100%. I, I doubt anyone will be back at 100% after having that kind of surgery and at his age. But if he's, let's say, back at 90%, he'll be a very strong fielder. He hasn't been very good offensively for a long time. I don't anticipate that changing dramatically. He's not going to replace Tay Oscar's offense. And who they brought in for the bullpen is someone that Seattle didn't trust to use in this draft. And again, that's not necessarily predictive of anything, but I don't think that one person in the bullpen is going to offset like defensively save runs, the amount of runs that Tay Oscar produced. And it'll just be a different dynamic. They brought in Don Manningly, who is going to be a bench coach, and they have Dave Hudgens, who was a bench coach, and they have John Schneider. There's a lot of people who are going to be sort of managing this team. I don't really understand why they have as many coaches as they have and at the level that they do. I'm obviously not in charge of this, but there's been a sort of sentiment that they didn't take things seriously enough because they were having too much fun last mm-hmm. season. I think it's a faintly ridiculous thing to say in general. And like we were talking about, it's a really long season. If you're not having fun, you're going to be miserable. I think they were unhappy before Montoyo got fire. I don't think it was because of him. I think it was because they were losing. And inevitably, the manager usually is the one that takes the blame for it, regardless of whether or not that's the case. But it'll be a different dynamic. There's going to be a lot of personalities coaching, which is unique. And we'll see. It could be interesting. I mean, to me, if I'm John Schneider, I don't know how much faith that shows that people necessarily have in me that they've got these backups on either side of me right right yeah well i tell you something i find absolutely ridiculous is the idea they were having too much fun because i'll tell you if they wound up winning the world series they would have said oh they had so much fun and that was infectious and that's that's the sort of completely bs uh narrative thing that it was like that i'll never forget like um i and as my friend Stacy Gotsoulias of Lockdown Yankees will point on, I can't have a conversation with anybody without bringing up the 2004 postseason. But I do remember the first three games of the 2004 ALCS when the Yankees were dominating the Red Sox. The storyline was the Red Sox are sloppy and undisciplined. The Yankees are a classy organization that they you know, they have their hair right. They take care of business. The Red Sox are out of control and disorganized. And it just shows you professionalism beats sloppiness. When the Red Sox won the next four games, the same writers were writing, well, the Yankees were too tight and trying to act too professional. The Red Sox were loose. And maybe that let them down the hair allowed them. To... No, it's because they won, because Keith Folk shut them down during the stretch, because Ortiz got huge hits, and because uh, uh, Joe Torre forgot how to manage in games five and six of the ALCS. That's why. And if the, if the, Blue Jays had won that game, which they had the one million to nothing lead on Seattle, and somehow won that series, and somehow made it to the World Series, a la the Phillies. They said, "Oh man, they were loose and having fun, and that's the way to play the game." So that's just all that stuff. I think is just nonsense. No, of course it is, and and to the faces, if you will, of the team, Vladdy Guerrero Jr. and Manoa. Mm -hmm. are both known for their big personalities and that's what people like about them so why first of all you wouldn't want to try to tame that just because from a marketing standpoint you don't want to quiet down the people who are bringing 
fans into the stands, especially casual fans who probably could only name him maybe and one other player. Yeah. Um, you also just, I mean, if you ever see anything with Vladdy Guerrero Jr., and obviously he and I are not best friends, but he does in the interactions I've had with him and seen him with other fans, he really does have a very joyous personality and he's just infectious in that joyousness. And if someone looked at that and said, that's someone who's having too much fun. I mean, that's a reflection from the person saying that. That has yeah. nothing to do with him. And yeah. it's all narrative, but people buy into it. And we are a team that is owned by a large multimedia corporation. By we, I mean the, the team in Toronto. And is also, uh, the media is owned by the same company for the most part that covers them so they help shape that narrative and their job is not to report on the team their job is to create a storyline about the team for the most part people buy into that a lot so i I mean i I think i said on our phone call and you like the word because i said i think people have been bamboozled by this front office but i do think that there's an element of uh clinging to a hope because there's a sunken cost fallacy there. There's a lot of people that when Anthopolis left because he and Shapiro like, apparently had some kind of blowout in their first meeting, he realized it couldn't work for him, went off, went to the Dodgers, then went to Atlanta and obviously has had great success with Atlanta. But then there's the other half of it. So there's people that terribly miss him and think the Jays would have been in the World Series 20 times if he had stayed, even though he left in 2015. But then there's the other half that think he left them with this aging, broken down team and he completely decimated the farm. And that's also not true. And we also now have a farm system that is roughly fairly decimated as well and needs to be built back up. <laughs> and so there's a group of fans that have really clung on to the belief that they're the only ones who understand what a rebuild is and how long a rebuild takes and what a rebuild results in. And it is now 2023. They did promise, I think, in 2021 that they would build a competitive team. I think you could make that argument, but I think it's kind of the, like, you like to swear on this podcast. I'll bleep out if it gets too bad. <laughs> I think it's like the shit or get off the pot season. You're such a nice Canadian that you just asked. <laughs> when, I've had, when I had unlocked on Phillies, they didn't ask. They didn't oh, ask. No. They, just, they just bullied right into it. No, I don't want to run afoul of FanDuel or anybody else, but oh yeah, I, we, we we don't want FanDuel to think that people <laughs> may use a bad word as they bet. Certainly, no one's used a bad word. If I, I'm sure there's no people put money down on the on the uh, on on a football game has ever used a swear word. So to back to my point, there are a lot of people who are very heavily invested in the idea of being a smart baseball fan. And this sort of leaks into the people who are very attached to analytics. And I tend to get my hands slapped by certain people when I say analytics can be instructive, but they're not predictive. And they aren't. And and I will never believe they are. I think uh, we certainly don't have access to front office analytics. And the way that they evaluate things is completely different than what we see, regardless of how much information we have, unless we're in touch with those people within the front office. But the end of the day, this is a group of humans, and we have to see how they gel as a team, how they handle the new dimensions of the stadium, how the offense is able to replace what's going to be left by Teoscar and by Gurriel. 
Junior, um, if Barrios can have a rebound season, some of those dimensions are not favorable to him. And they took the shift away. So I'm like, not sure. He wasn't even, it wasn't even that he was terrible. When he was fine, he was fine. It was when he was bad, he was like horrendous. And so he had, he was very feast or him. And I'm not really sure if he was tipping his pitches or he thought that they knew and then he started tipping his pitches. I think it was in his head somewhat as well. But I so just to have steady production would be a massive rebound, but I, I don't feel 100% confident about that given just the way the stadium's going to be set up. I All mean, right. what I was talking about analytics is I'm talking about from the fan perspective. Yeah. I think that they can look at someone's numbers and make him plug and play. And I think probably playing out of the park gives them that sense. And yeah, it just, it eliminates the human factor, but also like nobody really knows and no one's going to know until the season starts. And there's been plenty of teams that have been really good on paper, including some Jays teams. And for whatever reason, doesn't come together. And that's a whole lot of factors that go into it. And you can't just, put some numbers into a computer and think you can spit out a world series team. However, saying that I do think the WBC team that the Dominican Republic is supposedly going to be putting together. There may be some issues with some of the teams not letting their players participate. Right. Also doesn't make sense. It's an MLB event. So you're either all in or you're not. And it frustrates me every time because this is an MLB event. And if you want to showcase the sport to the world, this is the way to do it. And can you imagine if the World Cup didn't let professional players play in the World Cup? And they're like, no, we got to save you. Spring training. Well, it's not going to do that. And you're not going to, you're going to continue to see this happen as long as the, the title itself doesn't have the same gravitas as the World Cup or the uh, Olympic medal for NHL players. You know, the, every NHL player wants to win a gold medal. Every soccer player wants to win the World Cup. Um, if you, uh, I bet if you surveyed every single uh, baseball player in Major League Baseball, what would you rather win, the World Baseball Classic or the or a Wild Card Series? Uh, I think everyone would say the Wild Card Series. I uh, agree with you, but that's because of how they're marketing it. And they, yeah. They're making it seem like a fun exhibition series, and they're not putting anything behind it to give it that status but having said that the the team that dr is putting together is like a team on paper that you would think could be any yeah. team will be right now so that would be an that would be one example where i'd be like okay maybe that team on paper would be a spectacular flame out were they not to do exceptionally well but i i mean what with the jays we'll just have to see they signed uh chad green today okay he had Tommy john surgery in june Mm-hmm. 2022 so and most he'll be coming back down the stretch and he had a very has a very odd contract with a d- bunch of different player and team options that i don't even care to really get into the- <laughs> <laughs> so he'll either play in 2023 or he won't and he'll either be a kirby yates and not be able to contribute at all or hopefully he recovers well and regains a lot of what he had before but the Jays do seem to like to sign um, potential risky just coming off surgery relievers. I was at an event once and Atkins described relievers as fungible assets. 
<laughs> I was like, that's, there okay. you go. I mean, these are people, but I guess to you, that's how they are. And is he never wanted to invest a lot of money or effort or time into relievers and that strategy has been why the Jays never been able to get out of the first series of the wildcard game. Perhaps if you saw them as slightly less fungible, they wouldn't have had that meltdown against Seattle. Um, but when you have no bit starter, when you have uh, Kikuchi, unfortunately, well, I mean, when they signed him, I was very mystified to begin with. I'm like, this is someone who clearly enjoyed the use of spider tag. <laughs> a little bit better at what he did for a living. So he was a giant risk to begin with. And I, I think obviously no one anticipated Barry having the season that he did. But then you wear out those relievers. And then when you consider them fungible assets that you don't necessarily have to treat with the same weight and authority as you do the starting pitchers. I think that's the result. And so they have they short out the bullpen? Yes. Is it like a lights out bullpen? No. I think the Yankees pitching staff is still superior. Are they a 99 win team? I don't think so. I don't know what happened last season. I think they got lucky for a really long stretch and then they got kind of unlucky. And there was a lot of time in that time period where the Jays could have caught up to them and they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> so We'll see. I think Baltimore is going to be better this year. And Boston, I think, is not going to be as bad as you think. Yeah. <laughs> They've done some sneaky things to, like, get better. Trevor Story was a weird signing. All <laughs> um, right. All right. <laughs> fine, 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 fine. <laughs> right. I'll, uh, I'll see when it happens. Well, Ruth, uh, before I let you go, I'm, I'm – uh, I don't like to use the term gun to your head because it's needless violence and it's way too American. But um, what do you, you know, putting the pressure on you. Right. Uh, tell me what you think as of right now is going to be the fate of the 2023 Toronto Blue Jays. I think maybe like an 89 to 91 win team. And I'd say third or second wild card, but that depends on what happens with the Twins and the Guardians and Seattle. Right. And possibly even the Rangers, who oh, I don't maybe, know. maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I, I have no faith in the Rangers. None. That last wild card, but... No, no I, uh, as much as I love Bruce Bochy, and I do love Bruce Bochy, uh, I'm, I'm going to file that under no. I'm just I'm thinking that Tampa Bay is going to have a big rebound here. They were really hampered by injuries last year. Yeah. And so I think they're the ones that are more the under the radar concern than the Yankees. Yeah. And so that's why I'm saying second or third and I'm kind of hedging my bets because there's other teams that might do well, but I would I'll say it between an 89 and 91. Please. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, Ruth, thanks so much for being part of the show today. By the way, thanks so much for making Locked On MLB your first listen every day. If you're a second listen, check out Locked On MLB Prospects, host Lindsey Crosby. He's a prospect encyclopedia and going deep into the MLB stars tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Ruth Capulis, where can people follow you in the virtual world? Um, I am on Twitter at Ruth Capulis, which makes it easy to find me that's mm -hmm. my 
name and also my handle. And that's probably where you can find me the most. And if you are a Saber member, I think that you can access all of the newsletters. I don't know. I should find that out. But if you're in Toronto, (laughs) remember, you definitely can. And I'm hoping to use that to promote a little bit more of Canadian baseball. Tomorrow is the announcement of the February 1st, when everybody will be listening to this, is when the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame will be announcing their inductees for this season. So that will be exciting, and I'm excited for that and to go to the induction ceremony in June and going to the WBC in just over a month. Right. And uh, Canada, there's no way the Jays can probably be as disappointing as Canada will likely be in the WBC, but I will be <laughs> rooting for them both nonetheless. That's the spirit. That's the spirit right there. Well, hey, Ruth Kaplan, thanks for coming back and return visit to Locked On MLB. This has been Locked On MLB for the first day of February. We've made it to February, folks, of 2023. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.